Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Let me read from Luke chapter 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead. Jesus was raised to life. How incredible is that? It's hard for us to wrap our heads around it, is it not? Because, here's the thing, we know that his resurrection is our resurrection too. I've been saying this for months now, it seems like, but for sure over the past six weeks, as we talked through, as we, as we heard this uh, raised to, or, uh, from the ashes series that we did during Lent, this is all led up to this morning, and his resurrection is our resurrection too. But what does this mean? How is this possible? You might be sitting there this morning going, do you know anything about my life? It's a complete disaster. Do you know what I've done? Do you know where I've been? And to that, I would probably have to say, I probably don't. I probably don't. But I know the one that does. I know the one that does. And this morning, this is a morning where we're just pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. And last week, if you hear, were here or if you, if you saw this online, you know that we talked a bit about 12-year-old Jesus who had gone to Jerusalem with his mom and dad to celebrate the Passover meal. And they lost him on the way home back to Nazareth. They lost him. Mary thought Joseph had him. Joseph thought Mary had him. Neither one had him. And they were a day into their journey. They went back to Jerusalem to find him. And where is he? But in the temple, having a conversation with the rabbis in the temple. And his response, as only a 12-year-old would do, is to look at his parents and say, don't you know? Don't you know I have to be about my father's business? Don't you know that I've been designated for this point in time in my life to be the father incarnate, human, fully God, but fully human? So that was last week. And now we're going to fast forward. Jesus is now in his 30s, and he's begun his ministry, and we go to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, and we talk about the, the resurrection of Christ, and we talk about our own resurrection, but, but in Mark chapter 5, we're going to see that Jesus was not just pointing to uh, a coming day when he would be resurrected, but he was also, in that moment, resurrecting people. 
Even in that moment, right in front of him, he was giving new life to people. And, and he first, in Mark chapter 5, this is there's this crazy story about him going to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And when he gets there, this crazy guy comes, coming, comes out of the tombs, like he's been living in the tombs. And he has, he has found himself uh, possessed, spiritually possessed. And he's been known to live in the tombs and he's been howling the scripture says and he's been cutting himself and this morning as i'm as i'm standing here i'm wondering where are you in your life have you been in a place where you feel like you're just howling maybe you have actually been cutting yourself what have you been doing to alleviate the pain see he wasn't just howling he wasn't just creating chaos for chaos sake he couldn't help himself at that moment and he comes to Jesus and the scripture says he falls before Jesus look he wasn't falling before Jesus because he was worshiping him in that moment he had demonic possession had taken over him the, de the demon itself named Jesus and he said why are you coming to mess with me why are you coming to mess with me and he fell because in front of him because that was uh, simply uh, a, a recognition of the power that Jesus had because Jesus has power over death over hell and the grave so this morning I want to now with that story go into Mark chapter 5 starting in verse 22 Mark chapter 5 starting in verse 22 then a leader from the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Now, he's a ruler in the synagogue. It is likely that if he had any faith in Jesus at all, it was a private faith. He would not have said anything publicly because he had position. Because he had position. He would have had a private faith. Perhaps he had no faith at all when he came, before he came to Jesus. It doesn't say anything about his previous faith experience other than that he was, a, he was a, a Jewish leader. He was a leader in the temple. But he pleads for the help of Jesus. And Jesus says yes. He doesn't say maybe or possibly or, or do, you, uh, do you have faith? He doesn't ask any questions. He just says yes. If we come to Jesus honestly, if you and I come to Jesus honestly, maybe we even come desperately. Regardless of how strong, how weak, how non-existent our faith is, he will always say yes. That's a good word for us this morning. Jesus always says yes when we come to him seeking help. When we come in desperation, he always says yes. Further in 24, Jesus went with him. So Jesus says, okay, let's go. Let's go to your house. So he goes with him, and all the people followed, and they were crowding around him. Now, the connotation here in Scripture is that there is no space around Jesus. Nobody has personal space, right? They're trying to get as close as they can. And so everybody's jostling for position around Jesus. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. 
She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Listen, in that day, it was not unusual for people to be superstitious about touching the clothes of a leader, touching the clothes of a, of a spiritual leader. That was something that was believed to have some sort of superstition equals magic. So let's just say she expected something magical to happen. So her faith was not necessarily in Jesus in that moment. It could have been, but it not necessarily because that was a normal way of thinking about touching the robe of a, of a, of a rabbi as Jesus was. So she comes up behind him. She touches his robe. And immediately the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. What's your condition this morning? Have you been healed from that terrible condition that you're in? Have you been healed? Yes, physical healing happens, but you know what is much better than physical healing? Is spiritual healing. Have you been healed spiritually? Is your life in alignment with Jesus? Have you touched his robe and expected that you would heal from all that has been wrong in your life? See, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came, uh, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And I love his response. He didn't say, woman, he didn't say person. He didn't say any other connotation that could have been perceived as anything other than daughter. What a beautiful response. Immediately, she had to have been put at ease. When someone looks at you and speaks a word that says family, you are family. Like how beautiful is that? He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. Not only did she suffer a great deal under the care of many doctors, she faced financial ruin. Many of us know what that means. We've experienced financial ruin at the hands of trying to become whole physically. Not only had she not gotten well, in that culture, she was unclean. You know how lepers would have to announce their coming? They would have to say, unclean, unclean. They'd have to wherever they went, and people would scatter. Same situation with someone like her. The Levitical law called her unclean. So she was shunned. Not only, not only did she not feel well, not only did she have this scenario where nothing could help her. All the doctors, ne it never worked for her. But in addition to that, she was isolated. She was ceremonially unclean. <laughs> many of us, many of us, if we've experienced COVID-19, we have gotten a small perspective of what this woman had experienced for 12 years. 
We might have been isolated for 12 days, and we could hardly bear that. Imagine your life as you know it being over. And this woman was in desperation. So she did something very, very courageous. She acted to change her scenario. Now, while he's speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus. Now remember, Jairus is still standing there. Come on, Jesus. My daughter is dying. What are we doing? Don't waste our time. We've got to go. I can just imagine. Those were his thoughts. The messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, and then he told them, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus, he overheard them, and he said to Jairus, he said, don't be afraid. That's his word to you this morning. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. And then Jesus stopped the crowd, and he wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw so much commotion, and he saw weeping, and he saw wailing, and he went inside and he asked, why all this commotion? Why all this weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And as you can imagine, the crowd, the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. He gave life to something dead, a person that was dead, physically dead. There were naysayers, right? Let's look at the naysayers for a second. Who are the people in your life that are naysayers in your life? He had messengers that came and said, it's too late. It's all done. It's too late. She's already dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Do you have messengers in your life who come to you and say, don't bother. Don't bother. Your life as you know it, you're done. You're done. You've made too many mistakes. You've done too many things. Then he also had wailers that turned to scoffers, people that were, they hired people to do the wailing for them, families did many times. They'd bring professional people in that would wail for the dead. They turned to scoffers who didn't believe Jesus when he said she was only sleeping. You know what Jesus responded? He said, get out. <laughs> he ignored them. He said, get out. Who are the naysayers in your life? who come into your life and say, it's all done. Don't bother. Maybe you have an old friend who tempts, us, tempts you to keep up your old habits. Or maybe you have an unbelieving believer who doesn't think your marriage head, heading for divorce even stands a chance. Maybe you have a relative who won't let you forget all the mistakes you've made pre-Jesus. See, it's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to do the right thing. Who are the naysayers in your life that Jesus is saying, you know what, maybe you need to step away. Maybe you need to step away. Maybe you need to remove yourself from that situation. Don't be afraid, he says. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Just hope. But what can we hope for? Where should our hope be placed? I'm grateful this morning that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans, and in, in chapter 5, he says this. He says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Don't run away from difficult circumstances too quickly. Stay in the game. Keep your head up. 
Keep trusting in Jesus to bring you through. The endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope, this is the hope, will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. See, we can always hope for God to get his glory from our story. That, that kind of hope is the one that does not disappoint. Here's the thing. How we get to know God better, how we respond as he joins us in the process of life, how we do all of that, that is where God's glory can be revealed in our lives. It can be revealed through us no matter what other trauma or tragedies have taken place in our lives. See, last week we finished our From the Ashes collection of talks, but today, Easter Sunday, that puts the exclamation mark, if you will, on the season of Lent. Elizabeth Elliot, longtime missionary, said this. She said, of one thing I am perfectly sure, God's story never ends with ashes. Of one thing I am perfectly sure, God's story never ends with ashes. We've heard three stories this morning. We've heard about the demon-possessed man coming from the graves. We've heard of the woman that had been bleeding for 12 years. And we've heard about the daughter of Jairus. All of them have been raised to life, whether physically or spiritually. It is one thing to hear a story of someone being raised to life in Scripture. It comes alive for us when we put ourselves in the story. And this morning, I want you to hear the story of one of our own. Watch this. My life growing up was really good. I have two amazing parents that are extremely involved. Um, my family's very close. The younger years were really fun. We never really went without. We always had things to do. We went to Florida. We went, you know, on little trips all over the place. And then um, I got into horses and I started competing, showing horses. And it got really competitive. And I got to show with MSU and just, we, did a lot of cool things. And that really took me until I was 18, 19. And in the midst of all that, you know, I went to school full time, I worked, and I did um, a lot of teenager things after I got out of work and just didn't really know where I belonged. Just, I kind of followed people. I never spoke up for myself or really had an opinion of my own. It was always somebody else's, you know, like that was just the kind of people that I hung out with and they just weren't really great people. They never spoke into my life. I had no idea what friendships really were back then. No clue. The, the thing to do was we went out and we partied 
we ended up going to um, somebody's house that we didn't know. We had just met um, three people. My friend and I met three people. We went to their house and just, I know for a fact that I was drugged because I knew how much I was drinking at the time. Um, and there's no way. I mean, you have maybe a half a cup of like liquid in a drink and I was completely blacked out. And I have memories of visuals of people. When I woke up, I was completely bruised. Naked in a room by myself. And I was, my friend was mad at me. Because she thought I was, you know, having sex with somebody that she wanted to have sex with or something. I don't want anybody to ever have to go through that. Nobody should have to go through that and think that it was their fault. And then it just kind of spiraled a little bit like from there as far as like everything was kind of foggy, like friendships and my choices and just everything. So I had been with, I had a boyfriend and I ended up pregnant by him and he was not a nice person. I, when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, no way. You know, he's threatening me. You know, I was 18 years old. I had no idea and I made the hardest decision of my life to have an abortion. And that is the worst experience to date that I've ever had. The people that you have around you can either bring life or death. I mean, that's just the easiest way that I can think to explain it. I, I know I started in 2001 at the place I was working and Krista started a couple years after that. Um, the friendship that we started to have was, was so sweet because she was so consistent, would always ask questions, would always care about like what I was going through and just have different kind of conversations with me. And that's, you know, how our, our friendship kept building and building and, you know, throughout she would always invite me to church and, you know, even though I declined and she never pushed throughout the years. I mean, I think it was like 
13, 14 years or something. So it was just, hey, you should, you should come, you know. She would always invite. She would never, um, if I had questions, she would answer, but she would never push God or Jesus on me, ever. I think I was always searching for something. I was interested in astrology and um, I even got books on Wiccan and I got, I just was researching everything. I was just a sponge. I didn't know where to look and it was fall of 2015. Um, I had gotten into a relationship with somebody who it had spanned. I had known this person. We started dating when I was 14 years old. Fast forward a couple months and there was a conversation um, that we had about Granger and he had attended Granger. He's like, do you want to go? I said, actually, my friend Krista has been inviting us to come to church with her. Um, if you want to go, we can go to the Elkhart campus. And he was like, okay, great, awesome. After a couple months, maybe it was weeks, I don't even know, it was all a blur. But I remember going to work and Krista had given me, she had made some CDs for me, some worship CDs. And she's like, just put them on, just listen to them. You know, you don't even have to like listen to the words really, but just put them on in your car when you're driving. So that's all I did. I was just listening, 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 and it was, wasn't too long after that. I went to lunch and like I was asking her questions and stuff and I'm like, how do I? I'm like, I know I believe, I have to believe. Like this is, this is real. Like I know Jesus is real. And she's like, all you have to do is say yes. And I was like, what? Okay. So I remember going out on lunch that day and I was just bawling in the car and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I believe in you. So yes, <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but I know I believe, so I need your help. And like, that was the moment that I said yes to Jesus. Even though it felt like the wilderness for so long, God brought new people and brought me into this new community that opened my eyes to all the possibilities of friendship and what faith really looks like. And and what loving people looks like. I might be the only person that somebody meets that they can experience Jesus through. So I really think about that and it really, it really makes me think about how I treat others. And I just want to be the light for other people to let them know that like, it's okay, it gets better. And the sky is the limit in what you can do.
and who you can help and who you can impact um, because your story matters and people matter. So even if you touch one person with your story, that's all that matters. stand with me. On this Easter Sunday morning, if you have not been raised to life, if you've not experienced that raising to new life in Christ, I'm just going to invite you in these next moments. When Angie says she was told it was that easy, see, we, we try to complicate following Jesus. We try to complicate what it means to step into relationship with him. And frankly, he doesn't make it difficult. He doesn't make us jump through all kinds of hoops. He doesn't try to, to make it more difficult. He simply says, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, as we do so often here, symbolically our hand clenched fists are us keeping ourselves to ourselves, keeping things close, refusing the gift of God. But when we begin to open those hands, an open hand is a sign of surrender. So if you're in this place this morning and you've not said yes to Jesus, all you need to do is say, Jesus, I give you my life. It's that simple. Jesus, I give you my life and you receive resurrection life in that moment. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.